Last week, at the end of last week's sermon, we came across a very important and deep principle in Christianity. We discussed it, the principle concerning the argument from the greater to the lesser. And we looked at, and we're going to look at it again. We're going to pick up that theme this morning. The fact that because God gave His all at the cross, there is nothing that can stop Him from giving His all now. And this morning, I want to continue with that theme. I don't want to just leave you with that five-minute nugget from last week. I want to pick it up, and I really want to spend this entire morning discussing the fact that because of the finished work of the cross, God can freely give us all things. There is nothing that can keep God from pouring His grace out upon us. Grace is undeserved. It is unmerited. And because of what God did at the cross, He can freely bless us. That means that there are no circumstances in your life that can keep God from pouring His grace out upon you. It doesn't matter what you're facing this morning. It doesn't matter what, what, what uh, financial problems you might be facing. It doesn't matter what uh, pains and struggles in your family you might be facing. It doesn't matter if you're with a job or without a job. God can freely bless you today with all things. That means there's nothing. All things. There's nothing that God cannot bless you with. And I, it is so important for us as Christians to understand this, to see it, to get it here, and then to be able to wrap our hearts around it. Because the world that we live in wants to dictate to us something different. It wants you to think that you cannot be satisfied, you cannot be filled, you cannot be happy, you cannot be peaceful, you cannot have these things unless circumstances are favorable. But our God is bigger than that. His grace is bigger than that. And this morning, I'm going to do my best to prove it to you through the Word of God. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 34 will be our chosen text for the morning. If you'll stand to your feet, I will read it to you again. When I say again, I mean from last week. This is where we ended. And we will get into the sermon this morning. Romans chapter 8. Verse 31 through 34 says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He... Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Let us pray. Lord, this morning we are grateful for the opportunity to come together with our brothers and sisters and worship you. We're grateful, Father, for the spirit that we feel. God, in this place. And Lord, we know that where two or three are gathered, there you are. You're here whether we feel it or not. But God, we're thankful for your presence this morning. God, I ask right now that you would anoint me, God, this morning to break open the bread of life. And Lord, I pray that you would anoint our hearts and our minds that we can understand this, Lord. God, that we can see the amazing truth that when your son cried out, it is finished, He meant exactly that. It's done. It's not the cross plus. 
It is done at Calvary. And God, I pray this morning you would set some of us free from the condemnation and the worry and the fear and the struggles of this life. God, where we still find ourselves held captive to our circumstances. God, help us to see this morning that Your grace is greater than every circumstance we'll ever face and that You can bless us freely. We ask it this morning, God, if there be any here that are lost, God, that today would be the day that You take the veil off of their eyes and they would see their need to fully surrender to You. And God, that they would come to You this morning and find salvation in none other except Jesus Christ. God, have Your way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to briefly pick up the thought from last week, and then I want to deal with the term all things. And for those of you that weren't here last week, I'm just going to quickly go over the argument again from the greater to the lesser. Paul is making an argument here in Romans chapter 8, which basically says this. I will give you the shortened version. That when somebody is willing to do something really hard so that they can accomplish something smaller, that once they do the really hard thing, it only follows that they will do the smaller thing. And here's the, here's the specific argument in our text. Paul says, if God was willing to send His Son to Calvary's cross to bleed and die there, and indeed He did, and then He rose from the grave proving that He was exactly who He said He was, Paul says, if God would do that, then, and in the text it says He did it for who? For us. If God would do that for us, give up His own Son, then there's nothing that could keep Him from blessing us freely. The argument is so simple, it just says God would not send His Son to go through all the torments of the cross to bleed and die there and then have His own hands tied and not be able to bless us freely because of our foolishness. His grace is bigger than that. And because He accomplished what took place at the cross, He can now bless us freely in all things. I want to ask you something this morning, Christian brother, Christian sister. Do you feel like there's something in your life, an area in your life that God cannot bless you freely? Do you feel like there's an area in your life you cannot have peace about until somebody else or something else changes? Because if you do, your faith in God's grace is too small. God can bless you freely where you're at right here, right now, today. Your circumstances don't have to change. People don't have to change in order for you to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, here's what he says. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That word all is a really big word, and I have no doubt that the Apostle Paul used it on purpose. But this morning, for the sake of trying to tackle this subject in less than three days, I have chosen five categories that I want to share with you this morning that because of the cross, God can bless us freely with. Number one, God has blessed us with, He can bless us with, all things, number one, new life. 
John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, speaking of Nicodemus, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus told Nicodemus that a man had to be born again. Now, this is important to us, and it's important we understand it as Christians, that in order to be saved, you have to be born again. The process of being born again is a process, if you will, of being given new life. Christianity is more than a change of plans. It is more than a decision that I'm going to go ahead and get religious and start going to church. You can be religious and you can go to church every single service of your entire life and still spend an eternity in hell because Jesus said unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. God is not interested in repairing the old Adam. He is interested in giving you new life. Now, He can give us new life. You must be born again. But here's the encouraging thing this morning. Through the amazing grace of God, because of the finished work of the cross, God can give you a new life. You might be thinking, there's no way that I could ever be a Christian. There's no way that I could ever really serve God. There's no way, after all that I've done, after everywhere that I've been, after every person that I've hurt, after every wicked thing that I've done, there's no way that I could ever be a Christian. To some extent, you're right. You, as you, as a sinner, you're right. But the good news is God hasn't asked you, if you will, the old you, to be a Christian. He has asked you to die and allow Him to cause you to be born again. He will give you a new nature. The things that you once desired, you will no longer desire. And the things that you once used to not want to do, loving God, loving others, being merciful, gracious, kind, loving, patient... Those things God will place in you through the power of the regenerating birth of the Holy Spirit and you will be transformed. It is new life that God is able to give us. I have talked oftentimes with friends of my past that, that uh, they say, I want to change so bad, but I just can't. I'm afraid that if I start going to church and become a Christian, that I'm still going to want to do this and I'm still going to want to party and this and that. And here's my response almost every time. You have no idea what you will really desire when God comes and takes residence in your heart and causes you to be born again. You're assuming that you're going to serve God in the same dead, cold heart and dead, cold mind and dead, cold works that you live in at this present time. That's not the case. God gives us new life. Now, you need to know as a Christian, You have new life. God has given you new life. You are born again. Another passage that talks something similar is 2 Corinthians 5.17. The Apostle says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Look at the passage and notice it does not say, if anyone is in Christ... He is a changed creation. Old things are passing away. Behold, all things are changing. This is an interesting topic. It's difficult to preach on and, and, and move forward without spending an entire sermon on this one passage. 
But here's the thing. This is the way God sees it. The old things are passed away. All things are new. I understand there is a process where we grow in our faith. I understand there is a process where we mature and become more like God. But you need to understand at the point of salvation, according to the maker of heaven and earth, according to the author and finisher of our faith, according to the one that came up with this amazing plan of how we're saved, at the moment you're born again, you are a new creation. The old things pass away and all things become new. This morning, I ask you the question, has that happened in your life? And trust me, unless, of course, it was when you were a very, very young child and, and, and you spent very little time in this world, unless that was when you were saved, you will know when you pass from death unto life. And I'm not saying you won't know then either. I'm just saying... It is a lot more obvious. If you are an adult, you should know when you got saved. When you pass from death to life. When you were born again. It's not that you've never failed. It's not that you've never made a mistake. I was born again in January of 2000, nearly 12 years ago. I have fallen since then. I have made mistakes since then. Have I sinned since then? Yes, I have. But I will tell you this. I have never, ever, ever been the same person since I got up. I once used to practice sin. It was a way of life. And like all of you, I was really good at it. I was good at being selfish. I was good at being deceitful. I was good at lying. I was good at all of my own ways and wanting to do what I wanted to do. I was good at it and so were you. I practiced it every day. I was a master of it. And I was terrible at righteousness. But when I was born again, that flip-flopped. And I began to practice righteousness. I began to desire the things of God. I began to desire what God wanted. And, and, it, and, it's, and I quit practicing the old way of sin. This morning, have you been born again? And Christians, we've got to know we have new life. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to... You don't have to do a bunch of stuff in order for God to give it to you. He has given it to you. It is yours. You have new life in Jesus Christ. And this morning, if you're not saved, God stands with arms wide open saying, Friend, come. I died for you, He says. And He can change you. He can cause you to be born again. He can cause you to be a new creation. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 through 21, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I'm going to read the second part of that here in a moment. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. See, the new life that we have, not only is it new life, but it is the new life of Christ. It is a life that desires the things of God. It is a life that is not my own. Paul says, the life I live, I live it in Christ. This morning, is your life governed by Jesus Christ? This is important that we understand also as Christians that is Christ living in us. And here's why. Because the things that God has asked us to do 
And let me rephrase that. The things that God has commanded us to do, we cannot do without Christ living in us and through us. You might be able to act like you love somebody on the outside, but love comes from the heart, friends. You might be able to act like you're forgiving from the outside, because that's what religious people do. They love and forgive. But until you're free on the inside and Christ is living in you and through you, you'll never truly love and you'll never truly forgive. To be selfless is to be Christ-like. And no matter how hard we try, we cannot do what God has commanded us to do without the power of God in us helping us to do it. It is amazing to me the contrast when you look at the things God's commanded us to do, church. To love our enemies. Love. Love's a big word. Would you agree it was love that sent Jesus to the cross to die in your stead? It was love that set you free. Now, God said for you to love your enemies. That doesn't mean tolerate. He didn't say tolerate your enemies. He didn't say be kind to them and, 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 and don't down talk them when they're around. He said love. Love your enemies. He said to be anxious about nothing. That's Philippians chapter 4. Be anxious about nothing. Nothing includes death. It includes financial problems. It includes relationship problems. It includes work problems. It includes every problem you could think of. Be anxious about nothing. He's told us to love one another as Christ has loved us. He's told us to do good to those that spitefully use us. And I could go on and on this morning with the commands of God. And then elsewhere, Jesus says this, Come unto me, all you who are uh, weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my burden is, is light and, and my yoke is easy. Amen. Well, how can his burden be light and his yoke be easy when we're told to love our enemies? Now, here's the answer. Follow me. God tells us to do it, and then Christ does it for us, in us, and through us. Because the life I live is not my own, but Christ in me. Now, I was going to wait to the end of the sermon to even hit this, but I'm going to probably just hit it several times through. Now, how does this apply to Romans chapter 8? You have to, by faith, believe the Word of God. You might be thinking right now, preacher, I can't not be anxious about anything. Yes, you can, because God can freely give you all things. And Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian this morning, the power of Christ lives in you. You can, too, be anxious about nothing. I can't love my enemies. Yes, you can. You must, by faith, quit arguing with God and say it is finished. Christ is in me. It is not my life no longer that I live, but Christ that lives in me. And I can because God can bless me freely with all things. You can love your enemies. You can be anxious about nothing. Our life is now Christ living through us. Paul goes on to say in Galatians chapter 2, The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, 
who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Paul says it is by faith. The life that I live here on earth, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Notice that we live by faith, not by works. A real faith will have works, and I'll deal with that here later when we look at the power that God gives us and strengthens us to do all things. But we live by faith. In other words, we do not become righteous by doing righteous things. It's not like the more that you go to church, the more righteous you become. And the more that you help people out who need help, then you add a couple more notches to your righteous belt. And then when you give money to missions, you add a couple more notches to your righteous belt. And then you even make it to a Wednesday night service every now and then, and you add a couple extra righteous notches to your belt. That's not how we get, that's not how righteousness is formed. Our righteousness is given to us through Christ Jesus and through Him alone. Now Paul says this, that it's, I do not frustrate, I think frustrates the King James Version, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Paul calls this life that I live the grace of God. Christ in me is the grace of God. It's not something you've earned. It's not something you've done. There is nothing... I think it's hard for us to wrap our minds about the reality of the holiness of God, the greatness of Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth. I think it's hard for us to fully wrap our minds around the fact that He wants to live in us. And then in us and through us. But I think we would all agree, it's the grace of God. There's not a single one of you in here who have did enough works or made yourself so righteous that finally Christ said, well, I want to live inside this person here. Haven't seen anybody like this in all my days. Think I'll take up residence in your life. It's the grace of God. God's grace is huge. It is bigger than we can fathom. It's bigger than we can understand. But it's important that we understand, that we get it in our minds, that we settle it in our hearts. It's the grace of God. Why? Because if it's the grace of God, nobody can take it from you. Because it's not earned, you can't unearn it. Because you didn't pay for it, you can't unpay for it. It is yours. It is finished. It is done. It is complete. We have new life. It's one of the things God can freely bless us with all things. I want to show you the difference between the old life and the new life. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 25, says the works of the flesh, that being the, the old man, the old nature, what we were outside of Christ, they're evident which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, 
Just as I told you in times past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I want to wait to read verses 22 on. Paul gives us a big list here, and then he says, and the like. In other words, there's more to this. Every one of us can find ourselves in one or more of those categories before we came to know Jesus Christ. And maybe this morning you are still in one of those categories or several. We see some pretty serious ones here, but we also see outbursts of wrath. I'm not saying obviously that is serious. But we see the, the idea of hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, just simply being selfish. Paul says, you got any of those problems, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, all of us, at some time in our life or another, we fell into these categories. I'm talking to you this morning about the reality, though, that God can and does give new life. Not only does He save us from our sins, but listen to me, He saves us out of our sins. Verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let me say this morning, there is a difference when you get saved. We are not perfect, we are not sinless, but you will sin less. And there is a major difference in our life when we get saved. I am convinced, I know I'm not the judge, but I know what I'm talking about, and I do this, this is my life. And I want you to listen carefully to me when I say this. I am personally convinced about nine out of ten, nine out of ten people who call themselves Christians in this country are going to spend eternity in hell. They're not saved at all. Simply saying that you're a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. Any more than saying you're a tree makes you a tree. It's been said coming to church don't make you a Christian any more than standing in your garage makes you a car. There is new life that God gives us through Christ Jesus. In 1 John, the Bible tells us over and over again, if you want to know if you're saved, just look at your life. Is it changed or not? It's that simple. Is your life changed or is it not? Are you the same person you've always been? Or have you been born again and the Spirit of God lives in you? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the attributes that should mark the Christian. Now, the only wiggle room I'm going to give you here this morning is the reality that it takes time for fruit to grow on trees. You do not plant a seed and then walk out the next morning and go eat apples. It takes time. But, if indeed it is an apple tree, and if indeed time permits, it will grow and it will produce apples automatically. You can't stop it from happening. It happens automatically. And if you're a Christian, there better be fruits in your life. And if you've been saved several years, a long time, and there is no love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness, and self-control, and you don't have the fruits of the Spirit, can I boldly say, and as cautiously as I can, most likely, friend, the Spirit of God does not live. It produces fruit. And if God would send His Son to bleed and die on Calvary's cross, how will He not bless us freely with all things? How could He not change us from the inside out? How could He not give us a new nature? How could He not give us new life? He will give us new life. He does give us new life. And when He gives us new life, there will be fruits that prove it. He blesses us freely in all things. First of all, He gives us new life. Secondly, not only does He give us new life, He gives us new purpose. A purpose for God. In Romans chapter 8, it says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. It's one of the awesome things about the grace of God and about salvation. All of a sudden, we have purpose. It really doesn't matter if you're not a Christian, if you're headed to a one-track eternity of hell. It doesn't matter what you do in this life. It's so temporary that really you have no purpose. Now, we try to convince ourselves otherwise, but the reality is, outside of God, there really is no purpose. But once we become His, He gives us new life and new purpose. What are some of the purposes God has for you personally as an individual? First of all, this morning, the main purpose of your life, this is simple, yet you need it. The main purpose of your life is to be with God in a real and personal relationship. That's the number one purpose. Teachers, preachers, ministers, singers, people of ministry, Lay people, Christian brother or sister, listen to me this morning. There is no greater purpose in your life than to have a personal, intimate relationship with God. And when that is not the most important purpose in your life, all the other stuff you're doing, it won't mean as much and it won't work the way it's supposed to work. God sent His Son primarily so that you could be in a relationship with Him. This morning, I ask you the question, first of all, to the Christian. Do you spend time with God? Do you understand this is your purpose? Do you you seek to know Him through prayer and through meditation and and, in the study of the Word? And I commend you for being here this morning to hear the Word of God preached that you might hopefully gem some nuggets and understand more about how God loves you. But as a way of life, do you understand God personally wants a relationship with you? He doesn't just want you to be this some slave that is, is locked up in a prison and, 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 and only does all the, the, the rules of do's and don'ts. He wants a relationship with you. He loves you. It was love that sent Jesus to the cross. You have a purpose. And first of all, your purpose is to be in a relationship with God. Secondly, you have a purpose to be a testimony to this world of God's love and grace. Every single one of us, we have a purpose, a God-given purpose that are Christians here this morning. To be a testimony to this world of God's love and grace. 
Thirdly, to be a part of the body of Christ. Helping to do the works of Christ by building up the church and bringing others to the foot of the cross that they too might find salvation through God's grace. To be the body of Christ. Look with me at what Romans chapter 12 says about this concerning the body of Christ. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. In other words, you've got hands and feet and and other parts. They all do different parts, but they're needed for the body. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according, see, to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. You have a purpose. You belong to the body of Christ. You have a God-given purpose to belong to the body of Christ. Because we have this narrow view of church, that being what happens at 10.30 to 12 o'clock, we have this narrow view of the body. And so many think, well, I don't teach or sing and Joplin's the preacher. Guess I'll just sit and be ministered to. No, you have a God-given purpose to be part of the body. I want you to understand something. I love church. I think you ought to be here. I'm glad I came this morning. I think it's been a great service so far. But the majority of ministry does not take place between 10.30 and noon on Sunday morning. The majority of ministry is actually meant to take place when we shut down and we raise our hands and we praise God together three times and we leave those doors and we spend our lives out in the week, out in the workforce, out in your schools, out around your families, out around your lost and loved, uh, your lost loved ones and friends and family. That's where ministry is meant to take place. And we all have a role. And and we need to learn how to exhort one another. That is that is a ministry exhortation. How to build one another up. How to be connected with one another. How to make a phone call. And say, brother or sister, I just want you to know I've been thinking about you. You really encouraged me. You know, last night I was sitting at a, at a wedding and uh, reception. And somebody came up to me and they said, we want you to know this. Your church has changed our family's life. And it happened a year and a half ago. And they told me the service. And they told me what they were here. And they told me what happened. And they said... For the last year and a half, we think about that service. We talk about it. It has changed our home. It has changed our family. See, that's exhortation. That's being the body. On the way home, I talked to my wife about it. I said, that's encouraging. Those that you'd never know if somebody didn't tell you. You never really know if somebody doesn't say, hey, that, that made a difference. And I, wanted, I, I shared that example because that's being the body. It's not like you have to sing or teach. Maybe you do sing. Maybe you do teach. Use the gifts that God's given you. But you, brother, sister, Christian, you have a God-given purpose to be part of the body. Not only does He give us new life 
and new purpose. He gives us new power to accomplish His commands, to accomplish our new purpose. And Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13, it says, For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to abound, how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Thank God that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. A couple things on this passage. Number one, our strength comes from Christ. See, it's grace. It's not a strength in and of ourselves. And this should be extremely um, rewarding and should add a sense of peace to those of you who feel weak. For those of you who have mistakenly thought that to ever be anything for God, you've got to be a type A personality who's always ready to go, this great planner with great energy who's just always ready to go, and that's not you, so you could never really do anything for God. That's a lie from the pits of hell. Because you, that includes you, can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. He gives us the strength. And don't think, whatever He's called you to do. Can we be honest this morning? How often do we think about what God's really called us to do when it comes to being selfless? When it comes to loving our enemies? When it comes to, by faith, living the way He wants us to live? And then here's what we think. I could never do that. I'm just not strong enough. I'm not like brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. I'm just a failure. These are lies. Yes, you can. He gives you strength. You can do all things through Him who strengthens you. And furthermore, can I ask the question again, how in the world would God send His Son to bleed and die and then not be able to bless you freely with all things? Yes, you can. His grace is big enough. The second thing I want us to see in this passage is that often it's misquoted. I mean, this is the passage that goes up in the locker room that is filled with 90% sinners to try to influence them to go out and win the ball game. It is. But Paul actually uses it in an entirely different context. What he says is, I've learned how to be content in all things. He says, now I haven't always been, you know, it's not like I've always been down because I've been up. It's not like I've... Never had, uh, you know, it's not like I've always been in lack because there's been times I've had plenty. But the point is this. I have learned how to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be content. Can you be content? Have you learned how to be faithful to God? How to stand strong in your faith? How to, how, how to continue to serve Him with all of your strength? How to love God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, even when you're down? Even when things aren't going your way. Because Paul says you can. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. He gives us the strength to do what He called us to do. Now look at how amazing the reality is of what happens when we don't have Christ. In John chapter 15 and verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. But look at this. For without me, you can do nothing. 
You can do nothing without God. Christian, can you see the amazing contrast? It's all about grace. It's all about Christ. In Christ, you can do all things. Without Christ, you can do nothing. There is no in-between. There is no middle. It's not like half Christ, you can do half things. Three-quarters Christ, you can do three-quarters things. You're either in Him or you're not. And on the authority of the Word of God, when you're in Christ, you can do all things. But out of Christ, you can do nothing. How much do we need Him? We need Him in every area of our life. It does us well, brother or sister, to believe the Word of God. To quit trying to love your enemies in your own strength. Because without Christ, you can't do it. You can do nothing. To quit trying to overcome that selfishness in your own strength. And realize the strength of Christ has been given to me. It's in me and by faith I'm going to overcome this thing. Praying for God to do it through us. To do it in us and through us. Is the key. Acknowledging that God, I can't do this on my own. Without you, I can do nothing. And so Lord, I'm looking to you to give me the strength. I'm not looking for a little nudge for you to make me stronger so that I can do it. I'm not, I'm not looking for a, a little help on the other side so that it's easier to defeat, so that I can defeat it in the strength that I currently have. God, I'm looking for you to do it all through me. Young man, you can do it with your problem with lust. Woman, you can do it with your problem of gossip. Fearful person, you can do it with your problem of worry. You can do all things through Christ. He strengthens you to do it. You can. You can can be anxious about nothing. You can have love. You can have joy. You can have peace. You can be who God wants you to be. Again, why? Because how in the world would He who sent His Son not also be able to bless us freely in all things? Because His grace is sufficient. It can be done. But you've got to start looking to God instead of to yourself. You've got to realize, he, I can do it through Him. It is in Him. It is with Him. It is through Him. And it is Him working in me that's going to get it done. I'm done trying this in my own strength. I'm done trying to figure this thing out myself. God, I'm going to acknowledge I need Your help. I can't do it without You. And I'm going to trust, God, that You're going to do this thing in me and through me. And I promise you on the authority of the Word of God, it works every time. He does not fail us. Fourthly, not only does God's, God bless us in all things through new life, new purpose, new power, He also gives us new grace every day. And I think this is important. i got one passage on this and I'm moving to the last point. Lamentations chapter 3 says, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Why is this important? We need to understand it's new every day. In other words, this is so important. I know it's simple, but it's so important. God's grace is not just big enough for you yesterday. It will be big enough for whatever you face tomorrow. Whatever you face next month and whatever you face a year from now, His grace will meet you there. If we're not careful, we'll start to see things, and normally we're always wrong. As people, we always think the worst. 
We'll begin to see something that we think is going to happen in the future. And all of a sudden, we're starting to fear about what would happen to this, what would happen to that, and how would God be with me then, and how would God use me in this situation. And all of a sudden, we find our hearts fearful. You need to trust that His mercy is made new every day, and God has grace for you tomorrow and every day after. His mercies and compassions fail not. His grace is big enough. Yesterday, His grace is big enough today. And His grace will be big enough every single day that's ever ahead of us. And finally today, grace gives us new hope. A reason to go on. That's what hope is. Romans 15, 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you. I like the word fill. There's really not, when something's filled up, there's not, the room, not room for anything else. Fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're supposed to abound in hope. First of all, what exactly is hope? If you already know, then humor me for a second. But I want to deal with the term of what hope is. Hope is the reality that something better is ahead of me. It's not wishful thinking either. You might wish that you have a Corvette in the front yard when you go home with a bow around it. That's wishful thinking. That's not hope. You might wish that the Kansas City Chiefs are going to have a good season. That's wishful thinking. That ain't hope. Brother Rick. Hope is something that is certain. I just haven't had it yet. I don't question whether or not I'm going to get it. I know I'm going to get it. It's a guaranteed fact. It's mine. It belongs to me. It is my inheritance. It's not going anywhere. Nobody can take it away. I just don't have it yet. See, that's hope. Hope is something that's guaranteed. Now, we are to abound in hope. What are we to hope in? There's, there's two things that I want to share with you about our hope, and I'm, and I'm done today. First of all, obviously, our ultimate hope is heaven. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 5 says, Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Our ultimate hope is in heaven. This is where the Christian is going. And next week I'm going to spend an entire day as we close this sermon series on the triumph of grace. And I'm going to preach a lot on heaven, so I'm not going to say much about it today. But here's what I will say, Christian. Thank God this is not our home. This is not where we're going to be forever. And not only do we have a better home, but we have the hope. Do you realize you're going to see Him face to face one day? I wonder what He looks like. I wonder how tall He is. Probably the number one feature that I want to see about Jesus is His eyes. I bet they'll melt me. I'm telling you, when we understand our hope, all the tribulations of this world, they fade away. Who cares what I've got to go through for this very temporary time? I've got a hope that's incorruptible. I'm going to see Jesus. It is a new hope that God has given us. It is reason to keep going on. When the trials of this world seem heavy, 
when the burdens seem too much to carry, we have a hope that one day our King is going to come and He's going to rescue us and we're never going to struggle with sin and death and pain and sorrow anymore. He's given us a new hope. Next week I'm going to preach all about that. And so I'm going to stop with that today. But here's the second thing I want to tell you. While our ultimate hope is in heaven, we still have hope for today and tomorrow as well. And while it's not as perfect as heaven, I have real hope for today. Why? Because I've got a God who's given me new life. Because I have a purpose, and that purpose, inside that purpose, there is a God who wants a personal relationship with me. I have a God that wants to spend time with me. A God who made the way that I might spend time with Him. And no matter what goes on, no matter what happens, no matter what pains, no matter what things this world tries to bring my way, I have hope each day. Because each and every day, my God's mercies are made new. We have hope. A reason to live. A reason to go on. God has given us new hope. Look at the contrast of what happens when we're, we don't have God. Ephesians chapter 2 says that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants and purpose, look at this, having no hope and without God in the world. Hope, a reason to go on. A real, solid, tangible, guaranteed reason to go on of something better. Can we be honest? Without Christ, there is no hope. Not today, not tomorrow, Not in eternity. You could become the wealthiest person on this earth and when you die, you'll leave every single penny of it behind. Every single penny. There's no hope. There's no reason outside of Christ. And now that those of us who have been born again were His, He's given us new hope. Look what Paul says about the world that we live in. Romans chapter 8 again. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. They're not even worthy to compare them. There is no comparison. It's not like they're down here and it's way up here. There's no comparison. The hope that lies ahead of us. I went through all those things to deal with this one final point that we ended with last week, started with this week, and we will end with right now. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? God has freely given us these things. You, Christian... You have new life. You have new purpose. You have new strength and power. You've got new hope. You have a reason to keep going on. And all of these things that come along with that, I could preach all day on the things God's given us, but all of these things that come along with that, don't doubt whether or not God can give them to you. 
Don't doubt whether or not God can give you love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He can. And not only would I say He can, but He has. He has given it to us freely. But so many of us are like the, the guy whose car has a tire that blows out and he pulls over on the side of the road and he's there for hours waiting for somebody to come pick him up because he didn't know there was a spare tire there in the back. It was there all the time. He just didn't know. Because he didn't know, he sat there, broke down on the side of the road. If you're struggling with despair this morning, God has given you peace, patience, and love. If you're struggling with unforgiveness this morning, God has given you the Spirit that allows you to love your enemies with a true God-given love. If you're struggling this morning with, with anxiety and fear, God has given you a Spirit that is not ruled by fear and timidity, but of peace and a sound mind. And don't say to yourself, that can't be me. Yes, it can. Because how would God give His Son on Calvary's cross and then not be willing to bless you with those things? Wrap your mind, wrap your heart around it. I want to ask this morning our worship team to come as we close. And I want to speak to one pocket of people I haven't spent much time with this morning. That is those of you that are not yet Christians. Those of you that have not honestly come to Jesus Christ and repented of your sins. Maybe you're not religious at all. Maybe you're very religious. God's not impressed either way. Jesus Christ is the answer. Have you been... Are you willing this morning to let God give you new life? Has God stirred up in your heart this morning the faith to believe that He can give you new life? That He will change you? That you won't have to do it on your own? That the Spirit of God will live inside of you and will change you from the inside out? This morning, if that's you, I want to encourage you to come when we give a time of invitation. Child of God, if you're here this morning and God's dealing with your heart, I want to encourage you to be like the man that said to Jesus, Lord, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. God, I do believe You can do that, but when I look at my life, I am fearful all the time. Anxiety rules me. Help me to have the faith to believe that I can be anxious about nothing. And I want to encourage you, if that's you this morning, to find a place to come before God and say, God, help me with this. Help me with my unbelief. Because I know You're able. Maybe this morning you just want to come and thank God that His grace is able. His grace is sufficient. That He can bless you freely with all things. There's not a circumstance in the world. There's not a person in the world. There's not an obstacle in the world that you will ever face that will keep God from being able to bless you freely with everything He desires you to have. Thank God that His grace is bigger. Amen? Father, this morning, I pray that You'd move on our hearts. God, I pray You would help us to see this principle. And God, I pray that it set many of us free. Free from anxiety. Free from worry. Free, free from doubt. God, that it give us a heart that truly desires to love. To be filled with the love, joy, peace, and patience that the Spirit of God gives us. Lord, I pray if there be any here this morning that need to be saved. God, you move on their hearts right now.